Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Help us to focus on you, Jesus. We ask that you would keep, your, keep our attention on your Word, that you would change us where we need to be changed, that you would convict us where we are uh, giving in to sin, and then we ask that you would move us uh, to grow the kingdom. Lord, help me to, to preach your word faithfully, to preach your word boldly. And I pray, Jesus, that you would increase and I would decrease. In your precious name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. You're always welcome to stay, though. Never any takers. Well, good morning, church. It is wonderful to be back with you. Uh, I'm just—I feel refreshed being on vacation, but I always miss uh, being here. This is the only job I've ever had that I wanted to come back from vacation. Uh, I just love, love, love being here. Uh, today we are beginning our journey in Acts. Uh, we were in Luke for just a short time, you know that, and uh, now. Two and a half years is really not that long, all right? Jesus preached for three and a half, so uh, we are going to be in Acts. If you want to go ahead and turn there, what Acts is is the continuation of Luke. Uh, Luke, he wrote, uh, as we saw in, in Luke chapter 1, he wrote to Theophilus. Uh, he wrote the gospel uh, to him, and he says uh, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So he's teaching Theophilus. He's saying, I want you to be certain of the things that you've heard of Jesus Christ. I want you to be certain of the things that the apostles have told you. And, and um, for us, church, he, we, he wrote so that we would have certainty, so that we would have certainty that Jesus is the reigning king, that we would have certainty that Jesus is the Messiah, that we would have certainty that Jesus is the Savior for all who believe, all who call on him, who come to him. Luke wrote uh, so that we would have certainty that Jesus died to pay for our sins, past, present, and future. We have certainty that he was raised from the grave, that he defeated death, and he is securing our future with him. Certainty that Jesus calls you to a completely surrendered life. Certainty that God is working to redeem his people. He's working to reverse the curse. He's expanding his kingdom. And as we get to Acts, we see that he's continuing to write to Theophilus. And as one commentator puts it, he's writing to show that the gospel story is incomplete without the church story. It continues on through the church. The gospel story, it did not stop at the ascension only to be picked up again after uh, we die or whenever Jesus returns. We are in the gospel story right now. Luke's purpose in writing is to display the purpose of the church, what it looked like, so that we can continue all that Jesus began to do and teach. The life of Jesus was just the beginning. Jesus started that which would bring the kingdom to the ends of the earth. 
He's the perfect Adam. As we saw four weeks, we looked at um, the kingdom of God. He's initiating what we were supposed to do in the very beginning. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on earth. They were supposed to expand the garden and we know that they failed. But Jesus says, I'm here. I'm initiating my kingdom. We are fulfilling this calling that was, has been our calling ever since the beginning. And he calls us to participate with him in fulfilling what we are called to do. So we'll see in this passage, we're going to see the main point of this passage is the church continues what Jesus began to do and teach through the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. And not only is that the the main idea of this passage, Acts 1 through 11, that's the main idea of all of Acts. That is our calling as the church. In that statement, we see the continuation of the kingdom mission. We see the power for that mission, and we see the duration of the mission. So if we're going to continue all that Jesus began to say and do, we need a refresher, right? I need a refresher every day. So we see the continued kingdom mission. Look at the text with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Uh, If you don't have one at all, we want you to keep that. That is our gift to you. So many of you have said, well, I don't want to keep the Bible. Keep it. If you don't have one, I want you to have it. Um, But I want you in the word with me. So if you will, Acts 1, verse 1, chapter 1. In the first book, that's Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So what we have to ask, what did Jesus do? Um, And we have to take a quick snapshot because uh, what John says is now there are also many other things that Jesus did at the end of his gospel where Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we're not going to go cover everything that Jesus began to do and teach, but we're going to take a snapshot. And we know, first off, Jesus Christ lived an obedient life to the Father. That was the, the rhythm of his life. We don't know much about his life before he was 12 years old, but in Luke, we see that from an early age, he's about the Father's business. We have this, this account, it's only in Luke, and um, the family goes to Jerusalem, and they're there to make sacrifices for the year, and then they leave, and they realize a day later that Jesus isn't in that caravan. You think, well, that's not good parenting. Um, just kind of the way it was. They were, he, was supposed to, he was supposed to be responsible, be with them. And, and we get this frantic looking of Mary, and she gets back to Jesus, and she says to him, Why, how could you treat us like this? And he very calmly says, why were you looking for me? <laughs> why were you looking? Did you not know that I would be in the Father's house? So from the very beginning, he's been about the Father's business. From that moment, the moment of his baptism, Jesus is sent into the wilderness and he's obedient in temptation. 
He's obedient um, in his healing and preaching and teaching and showing compassion. He's obedient even to death on the cross. And church, this is what we are to continue doing. This is all Jesus began to do and teach, and we are to pick that up and continue on with him. We are to be obedient to the will of the Father. Christianity is not a a religion of inaction. It is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Christianity is you and I are being made in the image of Jesus Christ. And that means we look like him, we live like him. And yes, we will fail. And when we do, we return to the cross. And we say, Lord, I cannot measure up. And he says, I know, I know. That's why I died for you. That's why I live the perfect, obedient life, follow me, you are forgiven. But that grace and mercy is not to create in us apathetic, lazy hearts and minds. It's to spur us on that I'm forgiven. I can continue on living the mission of our King. If you remember, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But Jesus also was obedient, but he also loved the lost. He loved the weak. He loved the sinner. We see in Luke 5, and Jesus answered them, those who are well, he was talking to the Pharisees because he's sitting with a bunch of sinners, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. We see in Luke 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lifts up his eyes to his disciples and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. It's for those that Jesus came for. We see in Luke 18, Jesus called uh, them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He loved the weak. He loved the lost. He, he wanted those to come to him who would depend upon him. This is the heart of God through the entire scripture though. That Jesus is God. He's reflecting who God is. And he's taking care of the weak. And he always says, we're to continue on with what Jesus began. Seeking and saving the lost. Looking out for the widow. Looking out for the orphan. And how can we expect to tell someone about the kingdom of God? How do we expect to show them what the king is like and what the kingdom is going to look like and what it does look like and what our Messiah is like if we don't love like him? I understand a lot of chaos going on in our world right now. A lot of division, a lot of disagreement, It seems like the rifts run very deep, even among Christians. But if we, as the body of Christ, react like the rest of the world with hate and anger and slander, 
We're not displaying Christ. We're not displaying the hope that we have. But one way we show our faith is through love. If we can love others, even if we can love especially our enemies, then we're revealing that the love of the Father, it compels us, it fills us and compels us to love others. Listen, the reason Jesus Christ could empty himself for the world on the cross is because he was full of the love of the Father. And through our obedience and through how we love like Christ loved, we preach what Jesus alone accomplished. All that Jesus began to do. We can't do everything that Jesus did, but we can preach what he did. He died on the cross for sin. He made atonement when no one else could. And that forgiveness of sin is available for all who call upon Jesus Christ. There is no one that's too far gone. There's no one that's too sinful. There's no one that's too lost. There's no one that's too bad. All that call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And that is the message we proclaim. And we preach that Jesus defeated the grave in his resurrection, making us new and promising our resurrection. We preach that Jesus ascended to heaven, that he's seated presently on the throne, and we see he will reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet in 1 Corinthians 15. He's presently reigning, conquering the deceiver, the accuser of the saints, the devil. And as he reigns, we're seeing this glorious fulfillment of of Psalm 2.8 where it says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And and then as we're reading through it, at the end of Jesus' life, we're reading through the Gospel of John, we see him praying, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We see Jesus is praying with us that the nations would be given to him. That, that the gospel would go out and it is happening. Remember, Luke wrote all that Jesus began. So that means that we, church, are part of that, that Jesus is reigning and we are participating with him. And all that Jesus did, he also taught. Jesus taught the forgiveness of sin. Jesus taught the, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and mind. He taught that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. He taught that the Son of Man had to come and suffer and die and be raised on the third day to defeat sin and death. He taught the kingdom of God. And Jesus says in Luke 4, 43, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The kingdom of God is reflective of the forgiveness of God, the love of God, the sacrifice of God, the care, the mercy, the patience. And we see all throughout Luke's gospel, the kingdom of God is for those who trust in the Lord alone as their God. And we saw that in Luke 6.20, blessed are you who are poor, 
For yours is the kingdom of God. We see in Luke 12, 31, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We see the kingdom of God is for those who desire to expand the kingdom. Luke 9, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We see in Luke 13, and he said to them, what is the kingdom of God like and what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made its nests and its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. He taught that the kingdom of God was for, it was for those who desired to expand the kingdom. The kingdom of God is for those who want to display the kingdom in their lives and service for others. Heal the sick, he says, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Luke 11, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come near to you. And church, we are to teach the kingdom of God to those around us with great urgency. Our heart's desire should be for those who don't know Jesus, don't know the King, for them to actually come to know Him. That should be our driving desire, that they would experience God's grace and His mercy, His love, His forgiveness. We should desire that for people. Our heart's desire should be for the, the poor to receive good news and the captives to experience liberty and the blind to gain their sight and the oppressed to be set free. But as we return back to the introduction of Acts, we see Jesus continues this mission first through the apostles. Look at the text. Verse 2, he was, until the day he was taken up, um, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. These men were chosen for this very purpose. They were witnesses of Jesus' life, of his teaching, of his resurrection, of his ascension. They were uniquely Qualified. There's no other apostles that were as uniquely qualified to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, to reveal that the Messiah actually had come, that the one that they had been waiting for is actually here. And they were commanded through the Spirit. This is, their calling was a supernatural calling that they would go and tell of Jesus, planted in their hearts by the Spirit himself. And they accomplished that which they were called to accomplish by the power of the Spirit. Because 2,000 years later, as we sit here in the 21st century at Hauser Community Church, the kingdom mission continues. By a few faithful men following the Lord by the power of the Spirit. And he continues that mission through his church. We're to do what Jesus did to live as Jesus lived, to rule with him, to expand his kingdom, to reflect his kingdom, to teach what he taught, 
to proclaim the good news. But we can't do this alone, just as the disciples couldn't do this alone. We see the power for the mission in verses 3 through 8. Look at the text. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we see first um, as our power for this mission comes in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. The power for our mission comes from our Christ, the one that we confess as the Messiah truly rose from the grave. Appearing to the disciples and the, the, the apostles was for their sake, that they would understand that Jesus actually did raise from the grave, that someone didn't steal his body, that he wasn't a phantom and he woke up and, and, and walked out to them. He was actually healed. He was resurrected. The, the resurrection gave them confidence in the promises of God, all that he had promised throughout the ages, that he reveals to them at the end of Luke, that all of the scriptures, they, they proclaim who I am. And for us, the resurrection of Jesus gives us power to, the power of confidence to proclaim the kingdom. Confidence that God fulfills his word Paul says, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. He fulfills his word. I have confidence to proclaim his word to you here today because I believe he fulfills his word. We have confidence in the resurrection of the dead. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. We have confidence in the resurrection of our pre-fallen bodies. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown and perishable is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. We have confidence in the victory of Jesus in his resurrection. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in this confidence that the apostles go from weak and hiding and and not knowing what to do to standing before the Sanhedrin and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. 
It's in this confidence that they, uh, that the martyrs can stand and be burned alive and sing hymns to God Almighty because they know that they will be raised. It's in this confidence that you and I can head out into the world. We can head into our jobs and into the grocery stores and we can go to the ends of the earth as missionaries and preach the good news of Jesus Christ because we believe he keeps his word. Our power also comes for this mission in Jesus' teaching. He, he says in verse 3, he appears to them for 40 days and he speaks to them about the kingdom of God. He's been teaching to them for three years about the kingdom of God and he does it again. It's in his resurrection that we see the kingdom mission unfolding. He's showing them the kingdom is advancing It's in his ascension that we see he's reigning eternally like the son of David that was promised in 2 Samuel 7. Paul says if we're not certain of these things, we're the poorest of all people if this isn't true. But it is true. We are certain of these things. We are certain that Jesus ascended, that he is reigning, that he has defeated death. We're certain that his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven and each soul that is saved from the grip of hell. With each addiction that's broken, with each mouth that's fed, with each naked body that's clothed, with each mourner that's comforted, we, we believe and we proclaim and we see the kingdom is growing. And that gives us power. Thirdly, we have power for this mission because we're in the presence of God. Look at verses 4 and 5. And while saying, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but, I, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then jump to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was the place of God's presence. It's the holy city. Up to this point, it was the focal point of what God was doing. They came in from all over to see, to be at the temple. Normally the spirit would be at the temple. He would, uh, we see in the Old Testament he's there in a cloud by day and fire by night. But Jesus is saying to the apostles, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, instead of the presence of the Lord being located in the temple alone or in the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord, Jesus is saying, is going to be in his people You are my temple, he says. Peter tells us later, and I'm getting excited about this next chapter that we'll get to eventually. Um, In 16, he says, this is what Joel was talking about in in chapter 2, 16 through 21. that, That God is moving, that he's put his spirit in his people. And this is a huge, significant point Jesus is making here. He's saying the end time has started. I am expanding my kingdom. The presence of God is here in his spirit, in his people. 
His spirit is about to be placed in the twelve. And, and then we will see from those who they go out and they minister to. And his spirit is expanding. His kingdom is expanding. His presence is expanding to the ends of the earth as we saw in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed him and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He's saying it's happening. It happens in Acts. It happens because we're sitting here today. It's part of the kingdom. And we gain power in spreading the gospel because we understand the presence of God is in us. I think we need to understand um, if we're a child of God, he's with you. His spirit is in you. What enemy should you fear? What should you be afraid of? What person, person should change your actions so that you'd be accepted by them if you're accepted by the King Almighty? What evil will overtake you? In the presence of God, we have nothing to fear. We have been renewed by the power to proclaim the kingdom of God. His power comes from Jesus correcting the false narrative. I'm excited about, I'm back preaching, so it might take me a little longer today. Look at verse 6. I got to catch up the last two weeks I've been gone. Jesus is talking to them for 40 days, and and the disciples say in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God? Or the kingdom of Israel. The disciples are nationalists just like any other Jew. They're just like an American desiring God to restore Israel. He's not saying he's not going to do that here. He's just saying my plan is much bigger than just Israel. I'm restoring all the earth. I'm restoring Eden. But after Jesus' resurrection, they're still confused. Is it now, Lord, that you will restore Israel? And notice the mercy of Jesus. He doesn't say, I can't believe you haven't got this yet. He says, it's not for you to know the times and seasons the Father has fixed. Just follow me. And for you, if you're struggling with the word, if you're struggling with what's going on in the world, what's, what is God doing? Our Lord is gentle and lowly. Come to him. Keep returning to him and he will keep teaching you. He will keep showing you his grace and his mercy. Our power comes not from being a great nation or a kingdom like Israel desired, but by trusting God's word. It's not for you, he says, to know the time or seasons the Father is fixed by his authority. Just trust me, he's saying. Trust what I'm doing. We need to hear that. Right now, we need to hear, trust me, church. The world can be falling down around us, and if we trust in the plan of God, we have no need for panic. We have no need for anxiety or worry or fear. We trust the king. It's in believing the right narrative and having faith in God's plan that we truly 
understand what it is, the meek, who, who don't react violently, but in control inherit the earth. In trusting the Lord, we truly live and truly love. And most specifically, most significantly, we gain power for this mission by the Holy Spirit. But if you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's in the Spirit of God that we're given the power to believe. It's by the Spirit of God that we proclaim the good news to those who are lost and trust that he can turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. No matter how long it takes, we can continue praying for their heart and know that God can change any person. We're given power to remember the words of Christ. We're given power to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We're given the power to pray. We're given the power to obey. We're given the power and the ability to live as the kingdom through the Spirit, we cannot, I cannot sit up here and say, if you'll just do these things, the kingdom will advance. If you're doing these things, if the builder builds without God, he builds in vain. He has to be part of our mission. Apart from the Spirit, the mission fails. Advancing the kingdom of God is not something we can do alone or with a good business plan or with enough money. Advancing the kingdom of God is done supernaturally by the power of the Spirit moving in His church. Moving in the most unlikely, most incapable, eclectic group of people that make no sense in why they're in the same building. (laughs) But He can change the world through us. So what's the duration, duration of the mission Look at verse 9. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? (laughs) I just think they're like, well, duh. (laughs) This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. There's this wonderful symbolism in the, in the ascension. It's a, it's a symbol primarily of exaltation, of, of promotion. We see in Peter's first sermon, verse 33, it says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. That's what he is showing. It's the reason why he's showing them the ascension, so that they understand he is on the throne. This is the anticipation of what Bill read in the call to worship this morning. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? And the answer is Jesus. It's it's Jesus. It's answered in the rest of the psalm. Lift up your heads, O gate, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty 
in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's highly exalted. He's seated on the throne. He's been promoted as king. He's exalted as the name that is above every other name. And we see this cloud is a symbolism of God's presence. And the Lord went before them. We see this in the Old Testament. And a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way so that they knew that God was with them. And we see um, in verse nine, or chapter 19, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. We see it in the temple in 1 Kings. The priests came out and the cloud filled the house of the Lord. We see in Luke 9, the transfiguration, who sang these things and a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered into the cloud. It's showing the presence of the Lord. This is great symbolism for the apostles, for us to see that Jesus is God. I love the angel's response. Why are you, what are you looking at? (laughs) Why are you standing looking into heaven? It's as they're saying, get to work until he returns. He's coming back. He's just showing you he's on the throne. Now go and do what he's told you to do. His ascension didn't mean we're without Jesus. It means that we are serving the risen and presently reigning king. Jesus told this parable in in Luke 12 that when I leave, and your small groups will look at it this week, when I leave, just because the master's gone doesn't mean that you can do nothing. It means that it's time to get to work, not wait and look at the door, but do what you're called to do. Church, too many believers are sitting and waiting and arguing over signs and and whatever else. Too many Christians are just attending the church building and not living as the church. Not expanding the kingdom. Now is the time to go. Now is the time to make disciples. You, church, are chosen for a purpose. You're called to a mission. You're witnesses to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, your King. And we do this until He returns. We have this great promise. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. He will not return until his enemies are made a footstool, until the gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. But listen, he will return. It will happen. His kingdom is coming. He will save his people and we will be with him forever. Our mission The church, as the body of Christ, are to continue what Jesus began to do and teach through the power of the Holy Spirit until he returns. Are you ready? Are you willing? Have you submitted to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Are you following him with all of your might? 
If not, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn from apathy and laziness and and fear and turn to Jesus and proclaim to the ends of the earth, the King has risen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we praise you. You are the King. You are the resurrected Savior. You are the ascended one. You are reigning now as King. We praise you, Lord. I pray for your people that we would understand, that we would know that we are able to expand the kingdom not by our own power, but because you dwell in us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we haven't. We haven't desired to expand your kingdom or proclaim your excellencies. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that this would be the turning point for us. That we would go into the world and and proclaim the good news of Jesus. That we would tell the message of the kingdom with boldness, with confidence, knowing that you are with us and you are growing your kingdom. We thank you, Lord. We long for your return. Help us to work until you get back. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.